you will open your Bibles back to Psalm 84 that we began to cover last Lord's Day, Psalm 84. Psalm 84 reads, to the choir master according to the Gittith, a psalm of the sons of Korah. How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord of hosts. My soul longs, yes, faints for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh sing for joy to the living God. Even the sparrows find a home and the swallow a nest for herself, where she may lay her young at your altars, O Lord of hosts, my King and my God. Blessed are those who dwell in your house, ever singing your praise, Selah. Blessed are those whose strength is in you, in whose heart are the highways to Zion. As they go through the valley of Baca, they make it a place of springs. The early rain also covers it with pools. They go from strength to strength. Each one appears before God in Zion. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob, Selah. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. The Lord bestows favor and honor. No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. If you were with us last time, I told you that there were five outline points as we work our way expositionally through this psalm. It's really brief in one sense, only 12 verses, but there's so much packed here, and we could only, because it is so packed, get through the first two outline points last Lord's Day. I want to just do a brief review of those, just mentioning them as an aside, and then covering the rest this morning. The first The first of these five outline points, if you remember, was this, the blessings of being in God's presence. The blessings of being in God's presence. That was found to us in the first four verses. And you remember I also said that within these outline points are a number of God's great attributes, God's characteristics, God's heart and life. And I even said we could call them, of course, yes, blessings. Because when we turn them around from God's very attributes, we see what they are to us. They're just not a part of who He is. As a result of who He is, we are blessed. And we see a few of those in those first four verses. God's nearness. Do you remember when we talked about that? God's presence, his nearness to us, and also God's goodness or his provision. 
And we even talked about God's blessing or his bounty. And those are the blessings of being in God's presence. And then secondly, we saw also from verses 5, 6, and 7, the blessings of being in God's strength. The blessings of being in God's strength. We saw, of course, that God is strong, that God is mighty, that he has almighty power. And this is something that I said, especially with that phrase in verse 7, that they, the pilgrims, go from strength to strength. You could almost say it this way, that what the psalmist is intending to convey is that strength, as you rely on God, as you look and beseech him for his power, strength goes from love, one level of strength to another, and then another level of strength to another, and then another level of strength to another. The more you ask him for power, the more he's inclined to give it to you. This is, this is a great attribute of God, and it's a great blessing for us, because in our own strength, we have very little, frankly. In our own power, we are, frankly, very weak. But in God's strength, in God's power, we're the one who's worshiping our Lord God because, as it says, he's the Lord God of hosts. And you remember I quoted a couple of New Testament passages that accentuate this, guy, this idea of our God and his strength and his power. Psalm 140, Psalm 119, verse 28 Proverbs 24, Isaiah 40, Ephesians 3, 1 Peter 4, Hebrews 13. And that's why we didn't get through more of it last time. Because I just kept mentioning this idea of God's strength and God's power. And those are just a few of maybe hundreds, perhaps thousands by way of implication. The power of Almighty God, His strength in our lives. What a blessing. I woke up this morning and I wasn't feeling well. Even last night as I was going to bed, I felt worse. And yet with God's power and God's strength, I am standing right here. And I'm pretty excited. And it's because of God's strength, his power, his unlimited power. You say, how unlimited? The power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. That's the power we're talking about. And it's not only an attribute or a characteristic of God, it's our blessing from his good hand. And there are more in Psalm 84, and this is the third of our five outline points, and it is this, the blessings of being in God's ear. The blessings of being in God's ear. We're we're not only experiencing the blessings of being in in his presence, And not only the blessings of being in his own strength and power, but also the blessings of being in his ear. Now, before you, especially those of you who might be a little younger, and say, the blessings of being in his ear, that sounds gross. Well, it isn't. It's obviously a metaphor. It's the idea of God listening to us. Look at verses 8 and 9 of Psalm 84. O Lord God of hosts, and I said to you last time, that word hosts just means O Lord God of armies. 
This is, this is God's strength to be sure. It's his power. He's the commander-in-chief. Oh, Lord God of armies, hear my prayer. Hear my prayer. And what's the next phrase? Give ear. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Jacob is just another name for Israel. Jacob is Israel. Israel is Jacob. And what the psalmist is saying here is that not only is God to be praised and to be magnified and to be glorified because of his presence, his nearness, because of his strength and the attributes that we've seen, one, two, three, four, but now number five. Number five in our attribute list going through these outline points. And I said, don't be confused, five outline points, but a number of attributes in between those five points, eight of them in all, and this is number five, and it is this. Let's call it God's care through prayer. God's care through prayer. Yes, his presence or nearness. Yes, his, his provision or his goodness. Yes, his bounty or his blessing. Yes, his strength and also God's care, but notice, through prayer. O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. Behold our shield, O God. Look on the face of your anointed. The anointed, in this context, are the people of God. Not the anointed one, capital O, that's Jesus, of course, This is the anointed people of God, the chosen people of God. And the chosen people of God are to sing this song. This psalm is the idea of our collective praise, our singing to God. And you sing when you say this, O Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Give ear, O God of Jacob. I thought a lot about that this week, God's care through prayer. And the reason why I say it this way is because obviously the psalmist is asking for protection because it says, behold our shield, right? Behold, we need your help. I mean, Israel has for its lifelong and will forever be until the ultimate rescue be savagely pursued by those who want to destroy her. How would you like to be that kind of country? Wherever and always, you're always looking to the side and behind. You're always looking around because you believe and know, even as Scripture says, that you are going to be followed by the protagonist. You're going to be the antagonist. You are going to be that protagonist who is always trying to do what's right, even though failing many times. But even as God's chosen people, you will ever and always have those who want to destroy you. We've seen that in several of these psalms. So no wonder he asks for prayer, this psalmist, and he says something like this, I'm asking you, O Lord God of hosts, think about it, O Lord God of armies, I'm asking you for help because the marauding band is after us yet again, just a couple of psalms before this, as we studied them on Sunday night, Jerusalem was in ruins. 
It had already been destroyed. We don't know the time frame for this particular psalm, but we know that there was a repetitive onslaught against the people of God, and there will ever and always until Jesus Christ himself comes back to vanquish all her foes. And no wonder you pray. No wonder you pray. And no wonder you pray to, O Lord God of hosts, look on the face of your anointed. And what's on their face? Gloom. Discouragement. Because they are being beaten down. They are being pursued. They are being rushed by the sword. And the psalmist is simply saying, O righteous commander-in-chief of all the heavenly armies of the world, of the planet, of the cosmos. Help us. You know, if, if you expanded that prayer out, it might be something like this. Lord, since you're the God of all armies, and since the armies of the earth, the armies of the heavenlies, are always and forever at your beck and call, please vanquish our foes, the foes who threaten your people, your chosen people. Now, we've seen that truth, as I've said, in many previous studies of the Psalms, and this one is no different. But you could sort of principalize it like this. God will look on the face, that is the anguished face of his anointed people, Israel, and once he sees his people are in distress and they are downcast and they are seemingly facing certain doom, he will rush to their defense and protect them from the enemies, the very enemies who seek to steal and kill and destroy, but he will do it by means. And what means are those, my friends? By his word and by prayer. Anybody uh, in a similar circumstance, gloom and doom? Questioning perhaps even the goodness of God? Asking for him to come to your rescue? Could be financial, could be physical, could be mental could be spiritual, could be all of those things. You might not have a physical army who's, who's nipping at your heels, but in whatever circumstance you and I find ourselves, O Lord God of armies, give ear, O God of Jacob. Would you be so gracious and kind to listen to someone like me? What a blessing. But you have to ask him. You have to get on your knees before him. You ought to do what 1 Peter 5, 7 says, casting all your care, your anxiety on him. Why? Because he cares for you. Do you know that we serve the only God in the cosmos, and there really isn't other gods, of course, But we serve the only God in the cosmos who is both almighty and all-loving. The other gods are so-called gods of the world, capricious, arbitrary, responding, or so many people think they are. And yet when you and I see it, it's on a whim. 
It's for what they, the gods, can get out of you. And yet our God is the one who simply says something like this, come to me, come to me, and I will come to your aid. Cast all your anxieties upon me because I care for you. What a, what a tenderness. Look over in your Bibles at Psalm 34. That's a famous psalm and one that's very familiar to many of us, Psalm 34. Look at verse 4, beginning there, Psalm 34, beginning in verse 4. Listen to the psalmist. Listen to David. I sought the Lord, and he what? Now, don't believe your God will not do such a thing for you too. Don't think that he is arbitrary and capricious and that he will not come to your aid and that he will not answer your prayers, not at all. I sought the Lord and he answered me and delivered me from all my fears. Those who look to him are radiant and their faces shall never be ashamed. This poor man cried and the Lord heard him and saved him out of all his troubles The angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him and delivers them. Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who takes refuge in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you his saints, for those who fear him have some lack some time. No. Those who fear him have no lack. The young lions suffer want and hunger, but those who seek the Lord lack no good thing. Doesn't that sound like that beautiful passage in verse 11 that we'll get to? No good thing, Psalm 84:11. Does he withhold from those who walk uprightly? He's going to come to your aid. Verse 15 of Psalm 34, the eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and his ears toward their cry. There it is again. The blessings of being in God's ear. It's actually not only not a gross kind of picture, it's a beautiful and lovely one. Just think of that little boy that goes up to his father's ear and whispers, I need you. I need you. And his father is ever attentive. This is is so lovely. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against those who do evil to cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. Many are the afflictions of the righteous, but the Lord delivers him out of them all. This is is care through prayer. Now, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands because my hand wouldn't go up either. But I've often asked this. How many of you are completely, totally satisfied to the fullest and greatest with your prayer life? Now, see, there's not a hand that goes up. If there's one thing that I've said about my own Christian life and perhaps you've said about yours is something like this, I could never, 
ever be a better prayer than I want to be, and I am lousy at it most of the time. Me too. Me too. Why? It's not just being in your prayer closet. It's not just bending your knees in your home or somewhere else and having a time of prayer. That's important, and those are elements of prayer to be sure. But prayer, as I said last time, can be even arrow prayers, just shooting them right up to the Father in quick, rapid succession. I was reading Nehemiah this week through my Bible reading, you know, through the year. And I was reading in Nehemiah, and there was a sense in which Nehemiah was so concerned about Jerusalem, his homeland, and his king was asking him why his countenance had fallen. And he said, oh, I beg you, king, listen to me. And he said, my people are in ruins. My country is in ruins. My capital city is in ruins. And then the king said, and what do you propose to do about it? And there's one phrase in the next verse, and it says, so I shot up a prayer to God. And then he asked his human king for help. I love that. Prayer can be one word. Help! And when you are in need of care, be involved in prayer. If you're in need of care, and I suppose everybody's in that category, go to God through prayer. This is, this is not just a, a sense of duty, a sense of obligation. It's a beautiful response. You say, well, you haven't even defined what prayer is. I'll tell you what it is, talking to God. That's all it is. Simplest way we could say it. it's just talking to God. It's going to Him. Now, there are facets and elements and struggles, and joys, and sorrows to praying, and praying diligently, and importunately. That's, that's the idea that you're consistent. You keep going. You keep knocking. The importunity of God, you just keep going. You just keep knocking. You keep asking. You don't give up. There's consistency and persistency in prayer. There's the Love prayer of, oh, Father, I love you, I praise you, I magnify you. That's a praise prayer. But there's also a need prayer. I need you now. I, I have a burden. And a hundred, no, a thousand more ways and means and reasons to pray. And I stand before you saying, I don't avail of my, my own prayer life as I should. And I'm guilty, guilty, guilty. And yet, notice what the psalmist says, hear my prayer, give ear. It's not as though he's saying that because God is begrudging. Nope, nope, I've turned my face away from you. You say yes, but it does say, oh God, look on the face of your anointed, as though perhaps he hasn't, as though perhaps he's turned his ear away, he's turned his face away. Well, if he has, I can think of only one reason for it. Because I'm not praying. Perhaps I'm in the mess I'm in because I'm not praying. I'm not beseeching. I'm not coming. You could be walking down the street and pray. You could be kneeling and pray. 
You could be laying on your bed and pray. You can be just about to go to sleep and say, oh, and one more thing, please forgive me for X, Y, Z. You can wake up in the morning and before you think of your day at all, swing those legs out, stand up and say, thank you for my breath. Thank you for my breath. Thank you that I'm alive. Thank you that I have a job. Thank you that I have children, a wife, a husband. Thank you that I have a church. Thank you that I have a country. Thank you that I have what I have from your good hand. Thank you for the confession of prayer. Thank you for the blessings of being in your presence, of having nearness to you. Thank you for the access point, the very death and burial and resurrection of Jesus Christ that allows me access right to the throne room of God on high. And if that's not enough, my friends, you also have two advocates, Jesus Christ the righteous and the Holy Spirit who often prays, intercedes to the Father with groanings too deep for words because we don't know how to pray. You and I have two advocates who happen to be the second and third persons of the Godhead. That is stunning. Blessings of nearness, blessings of God's strength. You even have the idea of strength in the idea of prayer because you and I can say, especially when we're falling asleep, I'm so tired, I need strength to pray and you shall have it. The Father's ear is always just a few inches away from your mouth. Just, just so close. What a blessing. What a blessing of prayer when you and I need care. Number four. Number four in our list of five outline points And this will give us a sixth attribute as well, the blessings of being in God's protection. Now, we've talked about this, but here are a verse and a half that accentuated all the more, the blessings of being in God's protection. Listen to the whole of verse 10 and the first part of verse 11. For a day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. For the Lord God, this is the first part of 11, for the Lord God is a sun and shield. This this is where, my friends, in Psalm 84, we can enter into the very concept of God's attribute of what I call light and protection. This is sort of a, a double attribute. God's light and God's protection. And while the psalmist continues on with the joy of collective worship in the house of God, because that is the context of the entirety of this psalm, going into the house of God together and worshiping Him, the psalmist also extols an opportunity to enter God's very presence by talking about these courts of the Lord. These courts of the Lord. For a day in your courts, that's symbolic of God's own presence, his special presence. You see, he's, he's omnipresent is our God, right? But he, 
He limits himself in the sense of his localized presence. The locus of his presence is in that very court. No wonder it could be a tabernacle and then a tent and then a temple because God is saying, I want my people to corporately gather in a place in which I will manifest my special presence. And this is the blessing thereof. A day in your courts is better than a thousand elsewhere. Isn't that phenomenal? I mean, this is, this is, this is designed, I think, by the psalmist to accentuate the heart of the worshiper. From a, a worshiper who, who might be a little dull of hearing, who, who might be a little stodgy in his worship, who might be, if she's not careful, someone who is a bit indolent and lazy when it comes to worship, both individually and corporately. And what the psalmist is saying is, I'm here to rev you up. I'm here to encourage you. I'm here to extol that you can actually meet in the presence of God in a localized sense as an Israelite worshiper if you go into such confines and you will say once you're in there, one day in here is better than a thousand outside. And they're not making this up. This was true. The Shekinah glory. This was an opportunity for people to to hear and to see the living God, see him in the sense of his divine presence, his activity, the the pillar of fire, the, the, the light that emanates from him. No wonder there's a discussion about God's light and God's protection. I mean, the psalmist is saying, of course, that one day in the presence of God is better than a thousand days elsewhere, especially in the tents of wickedness. This is, this is poetic language to the max. This is, so, this is so visual. This is so visceral. And then he adds this, I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tents of wickedness. What, is, what does that mean? Well, I don't think the psalmist is communicating here that he merely wants to be in the most menial position in the house of God. Why? Because that wasn't the most menial position in the house of God, doorkeeper. That actually was a very important position in God's temple because you were in charge as the doorkeeper of keeping the wicked out and the righteous in. You were deciding who's in and who's out based on God's requirements, And you can see by its opposite, there are wicked people dwelling in tents. They are not allowed in here because they are not prepared. They're wicked. They will foul up every bit of our worship collectively. Why? Because they have pagan worship. God's people are to be distinct. That's why when you and I have a biblical philosophy of ministry about how to do church, let's call it that, how to do church. The idea of how to do church is not to bring in a whole bunch of unbelievers and design your service for them. 
This is how you do church. You do church by expositing scripture to believers who are gathering together so that as we learn and grow and are equipped, we then go out as we scatter to the unbelieving world, to the tents of wickedness. You and I are taught and encouraged and we are praising and and glorifying our God, and we are instructed, and we are built up and edified to the point where we say, let me at them. I'm ready to go out. I know some of you would say, well, look, I mean, my witnessing exploits are pretty meager. I'm not sure that I'm ready. I'm not sure I'm that equipped. Well, at some point in your life before you die, you should probably get equipped. You should probably even talk to someone, and if they ask you a question you can't answer, you say something like this, I don't know. I don't know. I'll get back to you. I'm going to study that. Because you see, what happens at my church is that when I come in on a Sunday morning, I am led expositionally, verse by verse, through passages of Scripture and Bible books so that I can be so equipped that as we gather for edification, we scatter for evangelization. You see, that's how to do church. If, if we were all about bringing unbelievers in church, we wouldn't design our church worship service like this at all. I wouldn't be talking to you as believers. I'd be talking to unbelievers. Now, look, if you're an unbeliever in our, in our midst today, and we probably have at least a few of them every Sunday, welcome to our church. Welcome. But this service is actually not designed for you. It's designed for us to talk much about Jesus, to be equipped in the faith, and to say, here is God's plan, here is God's purpose for believers, and as we gather for the edification of the saints, we scatter for the evangelization of the lost. And as we do that, you and I are seeing the blessings of light and protection. And the edification of the saints then compels us to go out and say, I've got some knowledge. I've got some opportunity. I'm actually happy. I'm downright giddy to be able to share the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ with others. And you and I, myself included, top of the list, will be asked questions that you and I don't have the answers to. That's why we come back the next Sunday and get equipped even more. And that's why we come back the next Sunday and we praise God. And we are prepared to give an answer to anyone who asks us, this is, this is an opportunity. This is a great opportunity. And this is the doorkeeper. And he's saying, I, I, I want to be those who are seeing God in his presence, God in his love, God in his ear, God in his nearness, so that when we praise him, you and I are doing so for God's glory. And we're being equipped to go out to a watching world. And as we do, God is honored. Look at verse 11. This is, this is so marvelous. For the Lord God is a sun and shield. You'd be interested, I think, to know that this is the only place in all of Scripture, the only place in all of Scripture where God is, to be the, is said to be the sun, S-U-N. The only place. Now, there are a lot of other places that talk about God illumining our path, and I think this is what that means, that God is the sun. I think it means, metaphorically, symbolically, that God is someone 
who will light our path, who will illumine our way. And he's a shield. He provides protection. And that's where I get this attribute for light and protection, sun and shield. This is how God illumines our way. And, of course, we know that Scripture teaches us both about the Father and the Son that, for instance, Jesus is the light of the world. Gospel of John says that on several occasions. Psalm 21, 27.1, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Isaiah 60, verse 19, the Lord will be your everlasting light. Regarding the great day of the Lord, Malachi 4.2 says, the sun of righteousness shall rise with healing in its wings. And even speaking about the new heavens and the new earth, Revelation 21, 23 says, and the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it for the glory of God gives its light and its lamp is the lamb. 1 John 1, 5, God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. But here, in a unique way, God is the sun. I take great, great glory in that. God is the sun. His light is ubiquitous. He is ever shining his light on the righteous. He's ever their protector. I mean, this is, this is of immense benefit to us. This is why... This is why the Psalms are so good for us. This is why the Psalms are so critical for us to understand. Because in one place, in one place only in our Bibles, it says that our God is the Son. This is is a way for you and for me to say to ourselves, I need illumination. I need your sun rays in the spiritual darkness of my soul. This is is light. This is protection. You're a shield. I mean, if you put these two metaphors together, God being our sun and our shield, you have a God who lights our way and who protects our steps. Just think about that one thing. Just marinate on that today. God is lighting my way and protecting my steps. My last little visit outside the state of California. I went to Grand Rapids, Michigan, and then I went from there to Kansas City, Missouri. Although if you're from my part of Arkansas, it's Missouri, which is probably not the right pronunciation, but that's the way we say it. And then I went from Missouri to Arkansas, my home state. And when I was there, I just learned from the previous week that there was a massive electrical storm. And my mother-in-law, who's been living in Little Rock for 21 years, lives by herself, 84 years old. This lightning struck a pole in which there were two houses that were hooked electrically to this pole. And as that powerful, powerful lightning struck that pole, it sent that electrical force right to those homes And the home next to her is caught on fire. And her home, that electrical surge went right to that breaker box and it literally obliterated the breaker box and took it off the wall. And the lid 
to the breaker box they found some 80 yards away. And so I went in to stay with her as I always do when I go to Little Rock. She's always got a spare bedroom for me. And what I saw shocked me. Because after that storm, she was just taking a little step outside, beginning to see the damage, and she misstepped, and she fell on the concrete of the driveway, right there just above the temple. And even about a week later, I looked at her, and it looked like she'd gone three rounds with Evander Holyfield. She was black and blue all over, all over her face. And we were talking, and I was just stunned. She was okay. She'd gone to the hospital. She was there. She was treated, and she's doing just fine. And as we were talking, we were finding out more electrical outlets that weren't working because the power surge had gone all through the house. Entergy did all the things they need to do on the outside, but you as a homeowner, as you well know, are responsible for all the things on the inside, and more things we were trying to plug into, the more things weren't working. And as we were talking, she said, you know, I don't know about everything. I know that the water heater, though it's not sort of electrically connected, it's, it's old too. And 10 minutes later, we hear this blast. And she said, are you doing some wash downstairs? And I said, no, I did that last night. And she said, go down there and check. And so I went down there, and the water heater was foaming with water from the top. It had been going on for some time, and we hadn't heard it, and so I went down there. It had seeped through the walls to her bedroom, to her bathroom, to the den, and so we spent virtually all that week taking books off shelves, DVDs, getting everything off, carpets pulled up, flooding, and everything seemed to be a disaster. The garage door opener was fried several other appliances, other issues, other things just not working. Workers in there all week. The church, the former church I pastored, the Bible Church of Little Rock, had done a wonderful job sending deacons over, repairing things, working on things, because, of course, they know, knew I was there, but they know I don't know a thing about any of that. <laughs> and, I'm, and I'm actually working on this message at the dining room table. And I'm hearing this phrase over and over and over again in my mind. The Lord is our sun and shield. You see, that's how you can apply Scripture to your life. That's how you can take hold of these things and see them as great blessings. And of course, the Israelites would be laughing at me about my illustration about water heaters because they're running from the marauding band They're running for their life. People that want to slice their head off their shoulders. That's that's when you need a sun and a shield. That's when you need the lighting of your way and the protection for your steps. And if that's not enough, that he's our, our light and our protector, five and finally, the blessings of being in God's favor. The blessings of being in God's favor. Look at the latter part of verse 11 And the concluding verse, verse 12, the Lord bestows favor and honor. 
No good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. O Lord of hosts, blessed is the one who trusts in you. Oh, my beloved, it may very well be that one of the greatest attributes of all of the attributes that we've studied is this one, number seven in our list, seven of eight, the blessings of being in God's favor. Do you know that that word favor in the Old Testament is what we see in our New Testaments as the word grace? Favor, grace. This is... This is the Lord bestowing his favor, his grace, his abundant grace, his redeeming grace, his powerful grace, his loving grace, his shining grace, and honor. This is is lifting someone up. This This is giving someone who has been in the dregs the opportunity to be lifted up and encouraged. This is... This is a blessing of God's favor that is superior. Being honored by God. I can hardly think of it. Being honored by God? This wicked sinner? It's only because of Jesus Christ. It's only because of his love. It's only because of his cross that that we can have such grace and favor And then I can hardly contain myself. Verse 11, no good thing, no good thing, no good thing does he withhold from those who walk uprightly. That's 100% there. Now you say, but I had a baby that died in infancy. I had that nasty divorce. It wasn't my fault. My son was gunned down. My daughter was run over by a drunk driver. I had to declare bankruptcy through no fault of myself. Could I go on? Could I go on? You don't know the untold blessings that you and I could receive even through the worst of life's circumstances. I've told you before. In the last 12 years of my life, six of my closest family members have died. My stepfather, my mother, my grandson, my wife, my sister, and my aunt. They, they, they're not here. They're not here to hold. They're not here to kiss, to cherish, to love. No good thing will he withhold from those who walk uprightly. I'm living testament, and so are you. Don't think about the things you don't have. Think about the things that have not been withhold, withheld from you because you're walking uprightly. Amen. God will take you up. God will minister to you. God will love you. God will care for you as you walk the worthy walk. Isn't that what Ephesians 4, 3 says? Walk the worthy walk. Walk the walk of faith. Walk the walk of the Christian life. You say, well, how can I do that? 
How can I walk that walk? How can I live that life? How can I, how can I be that person for whom nothing good is being withheld? Well, you've got to walk uprightly. You say, well, how do I do that? That's the eighth and final attribute, God's trustworthiness. Look at the last verse, verse 12. Blessed is the one who trusts in whom? God. You're, you're trusting in God. You're not trusting in yourself. You're not trusting in your money. You're not trusting in power. You're not trusting in position. You're not trusting in anything or anyone, including yourself, especially yourself. You are trusting in God and God alone. Blessed, enviable is the one who trusts in Yahweh. Yahweh God. Blessed, fortified, kept, protected, loved, cherished. If you trust in him, you have to trust in him. You have to trust in this God who is near, who's present, who's good, who gives us provision, who's blessing us, giving us his bounty, his strength, his power, his care through prayer, his light, his protection, his defense, his favor, his grace, and his trustworthiness. I'm telling you, Psalm 84 is an attribute extravaganza. All these attributes of our God, and these are just some of them. Who can't trust in a God like that? Who can't love a God like that? Who can't place your faith squarely and only in Jesus Christ, who is this God? Trust him now, no matter what's happened in your life, no matter how many sorrows you've gone through. Trust him. Believe in him. Bow together with me in prayer. Heavenly Father, those who are here but have never trusted in Jesus Christ, it could very well be that time. If we do have unbelievers in our midst, we plead with you to trust in Jesus Christ and no other. Ask God to save you, to deliver you from you, from your sin, from your life. You say, wait a minute, I, I'm, I'm living a good life. I don't hurt anybody. I don't murder people. I don't steal. Well, that may be true of you on the outside, but Jesus said in Mark 7, it's not the things that come out of a man, it's the things that are already in there. If you've come today and you've realized I'm a sinner. I sin against the Lord. I, I sin against others. I don't love God with all my heart, mind, soul, and strength, and I don't love my neighbor as myself. Well, then you violated the, the two great commandments, and therefore you need a Savior. So cry out to him. Blessed is the one who trusts in God and God alone. Trust him. He'll light your way and protect your steps. Provision. Bounty. He'll give you a life you never thought of living. He'll forgive you of your sin. He'll take you to be with him in heaven for eternity. He'll, he'll give you an abundant life even on earth. He'll allow you 
to speak into his very ear about your needs, about your sorrows. If there are those of you who are here who have confidence that you already know Christ, that he is your Savior and Lord, and you affirm all that has been said, then thank him. Praise Him. Glorify Him. Magnify Him. We're here in the gathered people of God to worship and to praise. And that's what we've done this very day. Come back tonight for more praise and worship and study and equipping. Reach out through the week to fellow Christians and encourage them and pray with them and seek their prayers for you. Ask God for help. Lean on Him for understanding. Ask Him to give you the joy that is His strength. Thank Him for His nearness. And thank Him for His listening ear. Oh, Father, this is, this is why we gather. We gather to worship You and to adore You. And we gather to strengthen each other and to be equipped to know the Scripture and to be able to answer tough questions and defend our faith and reach out to others as they need a word of the gospel. Thank you for your kindness to us. Thank you for your sweet provisions. And we ask you to continue to draw us into a very intimate relationship with you where we say, I can't have enough of you. I need you. Thank you for meeting my needs. Thank you for giving me hope and help. That's a part of your heart. Praise him now. Thank him for his person and for his attributes. Lord, we do thank you. We praise you. And we ask you to ever give us the hope and help for which we ask. Father, thank you for health and for protection. Thank you for favor and grace and honor. Thank you for your strength and your power. Thank you for all of these things and so much more. Where would we be, Father, without you? We'd be on that road to nowhere with our salvation up to us. And that's no road at all. Thank you for loving us and thank you for bringing Jesus Christ to us. Thank you for his violent, sacrificial death on the cross for sinners like us. Thank you for his, his amazing love and his abundant grace. We pray in his matchless, holy name.